0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to a new season of Bavarian Podcast Works. This is episode one for the 2021-2022 season. My name is Chuck Smith. I will be your host for this episode. And I am sitting here with my guy, the social media master, the Twitter meister for BFW, Tom Adams. Tom, what's going on? How are you doing?
1: I am doing well on this fine evening. I got to say it's been a hot minute since it's been... Well, Jake, I, or excuse me, Chuck. See, look at this Freudian slip. Oh, I called man. You Jake, It I has called been Jake. a while. <laughs> I know. I know he's turning over somewhere in his uh, new spot <laughs> in New York city just, and he's just getting ready to slap me. But nonetheless, it's been a hot minute since any combination of the three of us or two of us have been on together. And, you know, it, it feels like it's been way longer than it has because we were so used to, you know, having weekly episodes, bi-weekly, whatever it was. But you know, that's not for lack of the amount of football between the Mannschaft and Bayern Munich that we've had, Chuck. And, you know, as quickly as it seemed, like last season uh, had ended collecting the ninth Bundesliga title and then the disappointment at the Euros, it, we're already gearing up. We would actually, at the time of recording, be having our first competitive match tomorrow had it not been for the coronavirus situation with uh, Bremer S. Vau and the DFB Pokal. But Nonetheless, I mean, preseason pretty much just came and went. I don't know how you feel, Chuck, but it seems like it was a blink of an eye. And we saw a lot of new faces, you know, uh, a new manager as well, and some new signings. And there was a lot to digest, and I know that we're going to get into that tonight.
0: Yeah, Tom, it's, it's a great point because, I, I, you know, originally when we started talking about when we were going to record this episode and what the timing was going to be, I, I just figured we would be just about ready for the first official Kind of real game of the season, and and coronavirus once again struck and kind of killed that hope for you and I. So instead of talking about that match and and some of the things we'd like to see out of it, you know, we're going to hit on the preseason. And like you said, there was a lot of change in a little bit of time. I mean, obviously, with Hansi Flick leaving. This was a it was an opportunity for Bayern Munich to, to start fresh with a new manager and Julian Nagelsmann who I think is so highly thought of and well-regarded, not just in Germany, but throughout the world. Uh, I think it's got a lot of fans excited. And while he did go winless in the preseason, (laughs) I think that, uh, you know, people have still kept that optimism. Tom, you know, these games that we saw, obviously, there were some good things, were some frustrating things. But I think overall, in my opinion, the one thing that really, really shone through everything was that, Julian Nagelsmann has a has a really unique way of working with the young players and having them respond to his teaching and his coaching. Did you see anything like that as as you watched the games?
1: 100%. Um, and, like, I was about to say Jake again. Like, this is, this is <laughs> Jake insane. right now
0: is probably so pissed I don't, that you're getting us confused because it's probably such an insult to him because I'm an old bastard.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I was just about to say, I don't know who that offends more, either <laughs> you or Jake. But – Nonetheless, Chuck, what I saw while we did not have the greatest preseason, I mean, I think taking a few steps back, you have to realize, you know, Bayern Munich, probably one of, you know, a very small list of teams uh, amongst Europe's elite, so to speak, where virtually, you know, when international tournaments come around, 75 to 80 percent of our squad is gone, you know, and they're not going to make it back for preseason on time, and we know that. You know, we had our Germany contingent, our, our French players, uh, everyone else who was away. We literally just got them back. I think some of them played a little bit of a part uh, in our final preseason friendly against Napoli. So Nagosman knew that he was going to have to really stretch the roster, use a lot of youth, which we saw in every single game against F. Sakun, Borussia Gladbach, Ajax, as well as uh, Napoli, Chucking, I was actually very impressed with, with a lot of these guys. I saw what I would describe, simply put, as fearlessness, not being afraid to make a mistake, not being afraid to do something a little bit audacious, not being afraid to uh, you know, make a, a riskier pass or a more adventurous pass, knowing that a lot of these guys might not be in and around the first team you know, when the competitive end of the season starts. Um, for example, I thought, I think we can all safely say like, how much we were impressed by Armindo Sieb especially against F. Sakun. I thought he was very brave going forward. As I said, fearless taking people on. I thought he did a good job of integrating well with both the veteran players that were playing behind him as well as ahead of him. Eric Maxim, Chapo Moetang. I really like it when I can see those guys, you know, strike a balance between trying to take the onus on themselves when they're out there with mostly a younger unit and but also integrating in with some of the older players when they're out there with them. And I believe he was one of only two or three players uh, in that particular match that Nagelsmann gave uh, a full 90 minutes to, and I think we saw as each match progressed. Obviously, Nagelsmann made uh, pretty much all outfield changes, and at least three of them. I think Napoli might have been a little bit different, if I recall correctly. Um, so we saw a lot of different, a lot of different players. Uh, Chuck, as you had written about, I believe you had done the match awards piece for. Um, the 2-0 loss against München Gladbach. We saw some different players there, and uh, I'm always going to remember you taking a knock at Taylor Booth's barber <laughs> for not finishing that haircut. Uh, it was a little bizarre looking, and I think that's actually uh, Bavarian Football Works milestone that he actually responded to us on Twitter, <laughs> saying that he, uh, he definitely owned up to it and that he was a little bit shocked when the barber said he was done.
0: yeah I'll say this about Taylor Booth one I I thought he had a great preseason with Byron for one and that's the most important thing he was he was really good as a midfielder I mean we got to see his talent and our guy Logan Chug on the website has been following Taylor throughout his youth career and he's been giving us a lot of great insight over the year over the years on him and and I, I came away just really impressed by his play on the field but maybe even more so by his sense of humor, being able to laugh at himself. I mean, this is a young kid being able to, you know, we weren't taking shots at him, but we were poking a little fun, and, and he had a good time with it. So it was great to see that from him. But you're right, Tom. He was, you know, one of those impressive young players that we got a chance to see. And, and you know, Tom, I'll tell you this. Uh, I came away really impressed with, with a handful of kids. Uh, you mentioned Sieb, and I thought he was he was excellent. you were so right about this he his relentless style of play and the fearlessness not being afraid to make a mistake I mean to have that confidence at that age I think it's just invaluable as a player and you're right he came away as super impressive a couple of other kids that impressed me uh, Torben Ryan I thought was was great you know he is kind of labeled as the gem of the midfield at Bayern Munich and their campus and I think he lived up to that billing and you know, one guy that another guy that really was just a Swiss Army knife was Josip Stanisic, who played a number of positions. He can obviously line up at both outside back positions. He played some defensive midfield. Uh, just incredible to see the kid adapt on the fly, be able to put, in, be able to be put in difficult situations, and play well. Uh, who else did you? Who else impressed you, Tom? I mean, I'm eager to get your opinion. I respect it so much. Who, who were some of the other young kids that you liked? Well, and since you mentioned
1: him, I even believe that during one of the live tweets, I had referred to Torben Reine as a, a miniature Joshua Kimmich. Even, you know, similar style of play, I, I really thought he was a warrior-esque and flying into some mm-hmm. of the challenges and he even has like similar posture he's not the tallest of guys either right. uh one of those guys where their mentality is much much taller than they actually
0: are not to have a short joke at uh, Torben a, Ryan. a mentality monster another one can can Saban or Straza even handle that Tom
1: <laughs> I think so I think the more the merrier and you know when Kimmich sees him in training if Torben Ryan is going to be in and around the first team with those guys then we're going to see an even more intense gimmick because, you know, you can't have one training session or a scrimmage or, or match or any kind of function. I'm sure even at the uh, device intent at Oktoberfest gimmick lets out a lot of uh, intense <laughs> yells. Uh, but just a few of some of the younger kids, I thought Malik Tillman was, was impressive with some mm. of the minutes that he got even in the uh, speci- specifically in the F second friendly Chuck. I, I was pretty impressed with a guy like Jamie Lawrence when he came on. I thought he was a towering presence in the back and you know, I kind of wanted to highlight that area for me, just kind of tying everything together. I think, not to give myself too much credit, but oh, you're going to pat yourself on the back here, Tom, (laughs) aren't you? (laughs) Well, just just thinking logically here, we knew how much youth was going to be injected into the sides for preseason. Half of our squad is still away. Uh, Euro 2020 holidays are not expected back. Uh, Some of them showed up a little bit earlier than others when they got knocked out of the group stages. But, Chuck, we knew how, how – we knew Nagelsum was going to have to use basically reserve players, youth players, fringe players. We knew that was going to, going to be the case. with Chapo Tang, Dayo Upamakano, Tangai Nianzu, uh, Sven Ulrich, like pretty much the only older guys that were in – Nianzu is not even an older guy. He's just <laughs> – right, uh, yeah. I, w- I would say, you know, someone who's been on the team for more than a season. So that's what I mean by that. And because of that, I was really, really interested to see. I was like, okay – We're going to see the new man, Upamakano, most expensive signing of this past window. We're going to see Omar Richards. We are going to see uh, Tengai Nianzu, who hasn't – I just felt terrible for the guy last season, plagued with injury. I remember him coming on. I don't know how I can vividly remember this, Chuck, but him getting a a yellow card or a red card. It was Yeah, that was unfortunate. If my memory wants to say it was the S-Clone match where we had completely arrested Robert Lewandowski and squeaked away with a 2-1 win. If it wasn't that, then I believe it was a 3-1 against VfB Stuttgart. Either It was either one of those. I remember it being uh, at some point late in the fall, end of the, uh, the Hinrunda, something like that, and I felt terrible for him. That was one of the only opportunities he got. Made a few mistakes before then, which is not indicative of his quality. I mean, I think there was a fantastic player there, and there's a reason why... Uh, Hansi Flick and Hasan Salihamidzic kind of praised him when we signed him uh, last summer. But I, uh, w- with those guys, Chuck, it's with the amount of changes in each match and from match to match, I was very keen to see how those guys did. Obviously, Upa Makano is one guy we're expecting to be in that starting lineup. And, and I thought he was an inspiring presence. Obviously, he's not a youth player. He's not a fringe player. He's like the guy that we went out and got. Uh, and that Nagelsmann brought with him from RB Leipzig. And, and to the same effect, I was very, very impressed with Omar Richards, who it turns out, Chuck, is very high probability of being in that starting lineup next Friday against Borussia Mönchengladbach, giving the injuries to both Luka Hernandez and Alfonso Davies. Yeah, and and the, the... Davies is coming back, and I was very impressed to see how they were able to express themselves, stay calm with whatever unit they had on either side of them. Uh, yes, they did make some mistakes, but to me, I saw a lot of comfortability. And I think, uh, at least for Upamakano's case, a lot of that comes from Nagelsmann and his ability to work with younger players and the fact that they have that relationship from the time they spent together uh, at Leipzig. And I think that that attitude is definitely going to inspire them and make them comfortable. And that's a lot of what I saw from Preces And take away, obviously, the goal ratio, which right. is absolutely terrible on the balance. But you know, there's a lot of positive things. And I think defensively, you know, at least the first units that were out there to start each game looked a little bit better and better. Uh, you know, you can take away the mistakes because we gave up goals when we made mistakes, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Sven Olrik had a couple of hiccups, um, which, by the way, I have to give a shout out to Ron Torben Hoffman. I thought he was fantastic in a lot of the minutes that he showed, uh, especially against F. Sikun. But that's a lot of what I saw. I mean, I don't want to take anything away from the youth players, Chuck, but obviously that was going to be a massive area of interest for a lot of us because we know, especially at the beginning of the season with those injuries to Fonzie and uh, Hernandez, that Omar Richards and Upa McConnell, like these aren't guys that are going to get worked in. I mean, Nagelsmann is going to need them to go day one against Gladbach, right? So we're, we're going to pretty much see their true colors and, you know, we're going to get the acid test right off the bat, so to speak.
0: Yeah. And un- unfortunately for Omar Richards, he picked up a knock this week and, I don't know if his status is necessarily in doubt. He's got a foot injury, but it just shows once again how snake-bitten Bayern Munich is with some of their positions. I mean, if you think about it, Davies left back out. Hernandez, a potential left back out. Now, if Omar Richards is down, he could also be out, which would probably put, you know, some right in the starting lineup, uh, which is, I'm sure, fine by him. But you made a lot of great points there, Tom. And I think, uh, you know, when I looked at some of the, I don't know. You're right. Like trying to label some of these guys, guys. It's funny. Like Upamakano is what, 22, and I'm going to call him a veteran. But uh, you know, seeing him, I thought he was good, not great. Uh, same thing with Nianzu. They were they were both very solid. Um, I didn't get blown away by them and come across like come away from games thinking, oh wow, this is these are difference makers. I just thought they were good, solid players, which is at this stage of the season really all you want to see. If you're solid and consistent, that is. That's pretty damn good right now. You just don't want to be a complete train wreck, and unfortunately for Bayern, they had a couple of kids who just did not do well. And while I don't want to label them as train wrecks, it was it was not pretty for players like Yashua uh, Zirkzee and Mikael Cuisance and Tom. I mean, if we like, unfortunately right now, I'd like to play taps on you know the hashtag Step Over King because he was so poor during this preseason, and it pained me to watch him because. I, You know, I'm one of these people that's kind of tantalized by his skill because you can see it, and you can see that the kid normally plays with confidence, but he just did not have that swagger and that aura of confidence that we had seen from him in the past. Uh, he looked unsure. He looked not confident. And uh, much like Xerxes, he was wildly inconsistent every time he got the ball. Xerxes, of course, played out of position at wing. uh Definitely did not look comfortable, but also, you know, did not really try and seize the opportunity at all. And, you know, as for Xerxes, he's already moved on to Anderlecht, which is probably about as good a spot as he could land at for a loan. What did you see out of those two, Tom? Because I know you're you're a Cuisance fan as well. And I know at one point you probably had some high hopes for Xerxes, uh, just given his physical attributes and his skill set. They were two kids that did not help themselves this summer.
1: Yeah, just to start with, uh, Mikael Cuisance. It's just one of those things where, you know, we had been writing artic- articles even ahead of preseason about, you know, what is Bayern Munich going to do with a player like this? And you know, there's a a handful of situations like that uh, in the squad. And you know, I had actually not known about the whole situation to end the league on campaign with uh, Olympique Marseille, where he was actually suspended for disciplinary reasons. And I think that is just kind of indicative of both. You know, his tenure there in France, uh, Borussia Gladbach. I remember Marco Rosa, uh, as well as Maxi Burrell talking about his attitude and how he was very difficult to work with and, you know, there was all this hype around him when we acquired him from München Gladbach and, you know, I just never really think that he got settled. I don't think he ever really had that attitude. I remember reading and writing about how even when he was at Gladbach not getting a lot of minutes, he thought he deserved a better club or a Champions League club or something like that. You know, I could be misquoting, so obviously don't uh, put the air quotes on that. But, you know, it was something to that effect. And, you know, especially in these preseason matches, even from the first one against Cologne, it was like every time he felt like it's a friendly match. And for him and both Xerxes, as you mentioned, Chuck, they were really trying. I know it's preseason. I know you're working with a lot of players that, are really never going to be in the first team unless something catastrophic happens this season from an injury standpoint. So there's a little bit of not embarrassment, but it's just like, oh, I'm here with these guys. Like, this is a situation I'm in, right? You go from a player saying he deserves to be at a better club than Gladbach to, you know, a guy looking like he just looks really kind of pissed off that he's in the situation. And in that first match, gave the ball away when he felt he was fouled, complaining to the ref the whole time, head down, posture down when you get fouled he seemed very reactionary like he wasn't really happy like it really affected him mentally there were some good moments um some good step overs obviously hashtag (laughs) the step over king we're obviously going to see those from him as well as his hype videos when he's training out in the beach somewhere uh but yeah that attitude i mean For me, if you really want to make an impression, you want to stay, you get a fresh start with Julian Nagelsmann, a guy who has a track record of working phenomenally well with young players. Um, And obviously the younger guys are going to be the ones who are more prone to having, you know, attitude issues and especially adjusting to, you know, life at a new club or life under a new manager, life with new players, et cetera, et cetera dust it off you know shake it off get your head right don't be so reactionary don't look like you don't want to be there and again that's just physical appearance i have no idea what he's saying on the pitch or even what language he's saying it in which um by the way what's his name uh, nagelsman's assistant top Mahler has really been helping with especially the french guys because he can speak multiple languages you know Use that to your advantage. Have conversations with him on the side. You know, what's expected of me? What do I need to do better? It's not to say that he's not having those conversations, but for me, I mean, you could just visibly see the attitude wasn't there. And for Xerxe, I mean, he's just an anomaly to me. Going back, you know, a couple years to the Hinrunda in 2019, Chuck, before 2019 turned to 2020 for the holiday break, those massive goals against SC Freiburg, and then VFL, Wolfsburg, and then I think he scored once in the runda, in that massive routing of Hoffenheim and Sintheim where they had the Dietmar-Hopp protests. Um, And it's just like how the mighty have fallen. It's just something. And then just – I know there was that miss against Ajax and everyone was whistling at him. In my opinion, I think, Chuck, you had even written the piece like, yes, he missed it. That happened. Get on with it. Like if that was a of pitch – But, Tom, is he
0: a guy now that just – I mean, that he was in the right spot, in the right place two times, and he's built this reputation. Like, is that all he is at this point? Because, I mean, like when we look at him, you see talent. You see a big kid. He's, what, 6'4". He phys- should be a physical presence, but he doesn't play that way. He doesn't use his body well. Um, I mean, unfortunately, right now it just seems like he was a lucky guy in the right place at the right time. And I hate to think that way about such a young and talented kid He hasn't shown anything. I mean, since that point. What was
1: it? uh, Lewandowski was hurt at the time. And that, of course, a part of the trouble winning season. Like, what at the winter, what were we like at that point? You know, Hansi had taken charge in November. So we were on an absolute roll, right? That lasted for a long time. So I think you you were there. I think you could say, like, at least 60% the momentum, a certain percent to Hansi Flick, and then the rest of the percent, the rest of the team, and how phenomenally well they were playing. It didn't matter if we didn't have Lewandowski. We were gonna we were gonna show up and batter whoever our opponent was. And you know, as you said, Xerxes being the right man in the right place at the right time. But you know, that wasn't really much the case after that. And I didn't mean to re- interrupt. you Go ahead and continue your thought. No, no, I, no, I, that's, I, I that's, definitely that's, agree with you.
0: Yeah, and you know, you said some something that really struck me about Kuechlyans too, uh, in that he had uh, this was a fresh start. This was a chance you know, for him to really get rid of those rumors about his poor attitude. And he didn't handle it well. And I think at some point, you know, I like him as a player. I think he has talent, you know, but as a club, they have to be fed up with it. I mean, they invested in him. They believed enough in him to, to, to buy him from Munch and Gladbach. And what he's done since then is kind of be petulant. And, like I said, I like this kid. I like Xerxes as well. But at some point, it's on them to be able to progress and advance, and they haven't done so. I mean, we can look at Xerxes right now, and we can say, like, all right, this is another another grace period for him, another chance that he's got to fix himself. If he doesn't do it this time, it's on him. As for Cuisance, I have no idea how this is going to play out for him. I mean, they have no suitors. It seems like Bayern Munich is intent on getting what 10 million for him I mean who in their right mind is going to pay that right now so for him it could be a situation where he stays on the team or worse he goes back down to Bayern Munich too is playing in the regional league and I mean if his attitude is is you know frustrated and bad now how will it be if he has to take that step back so for him I mean I hope the best for him I hope he can change the way he is and his attitude and you know, I mean, obviously we're taking all this on what we see with our own eyes during the games and his body language and in addition to the reports that we've read. But I hope he can fix himself. I hope he can work it out. But right now, if I was Bayern Munich, I'd be very frustrated with him as well. And I, I don't know that I would know what to do with him at this point or who would want him. Yeah, I mean, it,
1: the writing's on the wall. I mean, at this point, if there's no suitors, if, if a suitor does pop up, Chuck, I, I would envision it being a situation abroad where they have some kind of injury crisis or, um, you know, perhaps a lower-level league on club that has some kind of contract situ- situation where it goes down to the last day, you know, anything could happen. Remember, two summers ago when we had all of those deadline day signings, Blana Sar came out of nowhere. Oh, well, yeah. Uh, Thanks for reminding Lorte. me of that one, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> but it was even like, uh, I think we had found a report and written about it like, they essentially said along the lines of, you know, not many people at Byron's front office signed off on this, and they were struggling to find who actually made the ultimate decision to put pen to paper on that. And then he just, like, showed up and had one, like, halfway decent Derek classicer and then was just, you know, one of those situations. But, you know, and again, like, with the injuries that we've had, we might talk about this later, but... He very. We might have to be starting him in, in our back line against Mitch and Gladbach, which
0: i uh, uh, say it ain't so. but Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I guess I this mean,
0: is this is probably the point where we have to, like, I don't know. I mean, Marcus Iredell on our site, he might be right once every couple of years, but he was totally correct on this one. When When all of those deadline day signings went down, Marcus was kind of like, what the hell? These guys are garbage. And, you know, Let's, you know, well, I'm not going to call the guys garbage. Uh, it, it, it has not worked out. Um, and I'm not exactly quoting Marcus on that, but that was his sentiment at the time. Uh, yeah, th- this is, it's not been, you know, a perfect track record for Brazo in nailing some of these, what should have been important signings. So, uh, which is a good transition for us, Tom, because there was a big rumor this week uh, that linked Bayern Munich to, Not just a good player, not just a great player, but a guy who I consider world-class at his position, a versatile midfielder, uh, one of the Bundesliga's best player, perhaps the best player in the league not on Bayern Munich, and that would be Marcel Sabitzer. Tom, when you first heard those rumors, what were your thoughts? I kind of had to do a little bit of
1: mental gymnastics because (laughs) I was still not recuperating but just coming off of you know the barrage of attacks from the the article that we put out you know uh, being critical of the transfer market you know in these uh, these transfers that are taking place for Manchester City which at the time we're recording uh, Chuck just a few hours ago Manchester City officially confirmed the signing of Jack Relis from Aston Villa uh, for upwards of 100 million pounds and the situation with Harry Kane is still unclear. He's refused to show up to training, but reportedly is going to show up this weekend to training for Tottenham. And uh, who knows? You know, your guess is as good as mine as if that deal is going to get over the line. But basically, the two most English, or excuse me, the two most expensive transfers in Premier League history um, for a team that's already more than capable of winning the Premier League once again and going the distance in the Champions League. So hearing this, you know, I got a lot of the messages from Manchester city fans, premier league fans that, and I'm, I'm Chuck. I'm a very, very (laughs) empathetic and sympathetic person. I, it's interesting for me being a hardcore fan of clubs in both the Bundesliga and the premier league. I see both sides of it. I see the good, the bad, the ugly, everything in between, whatever you want to consider us or somewhere on that spectrum. (laughs) Um, I hope more towards the good side. Um, they might not have a general. Now that we're speaking about it, I wish you know. I don't mean to put his name uh, on the pot or anything, but what Phil had said the other day in the Slack channel um, was was truly amazing. You know, I think there's a general uh, lack of understanding amongst people who are non-Bundesliga, non-Bayern, non-German football fans. They just don't understand like how uh, fiscally responsible our club is run the history of how our club was founded or even generally grasping the idea of 50 plus one and what it means. And, you know, yes, there are clubs that have found ways to circumvent those rules through either Red Bull, the soft drink company or SAP, but fundamentally, you know, from a principal level, these, I put out the tweet the other day, you know, this, this ensures that the majority of the Bundesliga will be supporters and never customers. And unfortunately in other sports uh, or in other leagues across Europe or, or the globe, that's not the case. People are turning into customers, and it's a business. Well, yes, the brand is a business at the end of the day. This is something about the allure of the Bundesliga that I'm always going to love, and I hope never goes away. So, you know, kind of segueing that into Marcel Sabitzer, you're seeing 18 million euros for this guy. But yeah, how is that player. possible? How One is it Sabitzer's... possible? This
0: guy, he's so good. 18 million? That's crazy.
1: <laughs> so when I first saw it coming off of all that, I'm like, Oh, my God, here we go. Oh, Bayern just poaching <laughs> all of their uh, rivals' best talents. I mean, as if, you know, we've got uh, Oliver Kahn and Hoeneß coming to, you know, these guys' apartments and holding them down and physically forcing them to sign a contract. You know, good business and, and fiscal responsibility and, and, you know, running your club the right way does, Chuck. We got we to gotta put it out there. Warning, it does have its positive benefits, and this would be one of them right? We have a player. I, when is this contract up? I, now that I'm talking
0: about it, of course, it's just escape. my mind. I think it's mind, 2022 but. is I, I believe that is, and that's the whole, from what I understand the impetus on this to get a deal done from our Leipzig's Leipzig standpoint, I don't necessarily think they want to sell him right now, but he has rejected a contract extension. So for all, you know, for all accounts right now, he wants to leave. He, is, he has no intention of staying there. So if you are our Bay Leipzig, you can look at it this way. You can keep him for this season. You can keep your Champions League dreams alive by having him and just come to the reality that you're going to lose him for nothing. Or you can sell him for what really seems to be like, I don't know what, pennies on the dollar at this point for 18 to 20 million on a player of that caliber. Uh, I guess it all depends for them on how much they were impacted by the financial crises that most clubs have faced over the past year or year and a half. And if they feel like they need that 18 to 20 million to either one, buy other players or two, give other players contract extensions that will require raises, they might be inclined to just take the money and run. But I can't imagine... that that any deal gets done for 18 to 20 million on a player like that. Like, it's ridiculous if you think about it. What did they, what did Bayern pay for Quarantan Taliso? 42 million? What did they pay for Renato Sanchez? 35 million? And you're going to tell me you get Sabitzer for half that? That's crazy to me.
1: It does, Chuck, sound way too good to be true. Um, I think there's a lot of moving parts to this. Uh, you know, wages, uh, variables in the contract, bonuses. I think that uh, on face value of 18 million euros, if a deal were to actually really progress and get very, very close to the final stages, to be looking like a decent
0: amount more than that. Um, For sure. Yeah. Between signing bonuses and salary, no doubt, like he's going to make that up from Bayern Munich on the back end, I believe.
1: There's also, you know, a, a lot of You know what has RB Leipzig done in the transfer window already? Obviously, the big acquisition of Andre Silva from Eintracht Frankfurt. Uh, Gavril, I don't know. I don't know how you say his name. The guy from Zagreb. You know, Benjamin Heinrichs coming back from his loan uh, at AS Monaco. They've had a lot of movement there, Um, and just as you had mentioned a few moments ago, trying to balance the books from you know what they lost from uh, the coronavirus pandemic. As we know, in Germany, they made a collective pot all the Champions League club and you know, spread it outwardly or I should say downwardly as far as um, some of the uh, the regional ligas and uh, the Bundesliga as well as the two-liga and the three-liga. But, you know, I think people don't understand the Bundesliga or don't understand the feeder system between, um, you know, the Red Bull clubs or Rassenball sport clubs, quote-unquote, um, with Salzburg Leipzig, the Brazilian club, and New York Red Bulls, I don't think they would understand you know, how that necessarily works. Um, I don't just want to go on record and be like, well, they're a selling club and, and end it at that. But they have a business model that's consistent with what some people would misconstrue as a selling club, if that makes sense, Chuck. I know it sounds worse that's putting uh, Leipzig in a bit of a negative light. I know there's a lot of Bundesliga fans who absolutely hate the way that they found their success through the investments from the soft drink company. But uh, Chuck, I don't know if you know what I mean in that sense. Oh, yeah. No, I totally I get that. 100%. Because of that, I think that there would be an element, not necessarily just of balancing the books, but paving the way, so to speak. And I think we all know who are Bundesliga fans, you know, how well, RB Leipzig is at working those feeder systems, and especially when it comes to younger talents. And, you know, who's to say that they don't need some money to make up for bringing in Dominic Shabashlai, who a lot of people forget even went there because he showed up and was injured and obviously missed out on the Euros with Hungary as well. And I'll be excited to see how Yeah, huge talent, huge but, talent. But, uh, you know, so there's a lot of that there, you know, business they have done before the pandemic, you know, what does that look like? Um, are they in need of, of selling players to help prep for the future, balance the books for the future, uh, et cetera, et cetera? But as I said, 18 million euro—it just seems way too good to be true, especially, you know, as a Liverpool fan, uh, seeing him up close and personal in the Champions League, and you know how effective he was, um, not only in the knockout stages but even prior. I mean, this is a supreme talent, supreme talent. And if if I'm a Leipzig fan, I'm saying, hell no, we are not letting this guy go for anywhere near 18 million euro you know we got to jack that price up but you know there's a lot of moving parts behind the scene and if we can pull this off uh you know obviously there's the help of Nagelsmann and half of his backroom staff who would have already known Sabitzer from their time at Leipzig and working with him there I mean the incentive is certainly there from his standpoint you know With all of these situations, you know, Grealish, Kane, whatever it might be, Danny Ings just signed for Aston Villa, got out of a Southampton contract, you know, the the player does have a choice. The player does have a certain amount of power, and, you know, a contract is a contract, but, you know, if the player wants to move at the end of the day and can move, you really can't stand in the way. Um, You can only do the negotiating, negotiating, excuse me, on the front end as far as, you know, the business standpoint. How much is this worth? Who gets what? Who gets what cut of what? Chuck, if we, if we pull this off for somewhere around $18 million, uh, I mean, I will be a very, very, very happy person.
0: Yeah, it would be an absolute steal. And, and you know, Tom, before we sign off here, uh, you know, when I looked at this initially, you know, I understand why Byron would want him. I, I do understand why Arbe Leipzig would want to sell. Uh, I get the timing of everything, and I understand that. When I look at it from a player standpoint, um, you know, I'm the killjoy in the situation. And I kind of think, well, why would he want to go to Bayern Munich? Um, Obviously, this is a versatile guy. He can play the, you know, 10, 8, or 6 effectively. He can even play right wing, which for me, I would probably like to see him out there starting with players like Joshua Kimmich and Thomas Muller and Leon Goretzka and Robert Lewandowski. I'd like to see some of that. But... uh, you know, I always wonder, like, what's the incentive for him to come if he might not be a starter? And, like, if you mention that on social media, like, everybody will just jump all over you. Like, that's not our problem, blah, blah, blah. But I always just wonder if it's in the back of his mind, if, you know, when he's looking at destinations, you know, when he looks at the age of Joshua Kimmich, he looks at the age of Leon Goretzka, and then he looks at the reality of having to compete with Thomas Muller as well. Um, Does it look advantageous to him? And and I wonder a little bit about that part of it. But by all accounts, by all the reports we've seen so far, this is the move that he wants. And if he wants the move and Bayern Munich wants the move and Julian Nagelsmann wants the move, I would think this one might actually happen. But I'm not going to get my hopes up for it. So one final verdict on you, Tom. Do you think it's going to go down? I... With the way it
1: – I'll say this. It wouldn't surprise me. Mm-hmm. Other than Leroy Sané and a couple of our other big moves, a couple of them have really snuck out of nowhere. Um, the, given the injury crisis that we have, when um, we have uncertain futures of Quarantan Liso, a very poor injury record, which I feel bad for because I'm a big Coco fan, because of that, I think our front office are really pursuing it behind the scenes and are really pushing for it. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised to see this happen, but, but Chuck, I will say, I don't, I think that fee is going to raise, uh, uh, Jesse Marsh and, you know, Leipzig's front office will do their part to make sure they get the absolute most that they can for him rightfully. So uh, as they should, but I, I do actually, I do have faith in buying that they can get this over the line, but you know, this is silly season, Chuck. This is the transfer window after, coronavirus pandemic so it's basically like silly season injected with steroid and Moderna AstraZeneca Pfizer Janssen vaccine all in mm-hmm. one so you know crazy things could happen I mean hell for all we know what it's like 9 p.m. East Coast now it's three in the morning Sabitzer so could be blowing up someone's phone right now things things could be happening maybe they can't sleep and they're trying to get something over the line so who knows things can happen very quickly but um, I'm going to I'm gonna go with the wishful thinking and the optimism and finish on a high note and say, we, we, we get this done pending fee. There
0: you go. And that, Tom, is a great place for us to end this first episode of our latest season. So, hey, just want to say thanks to all of you podcast listeners who have been with us through the entirety and those of you that have caught on to us uh, during this whole process. Please subscribe to our podcast, like and rate it, especially say how how great that Chuck is because Chuck loves to read good stuff about himself. I'm just kidding. Uh, So thanks again for joining us. We will be putting out the flagship show weekly. This season, you'll see a little bit more of a rotating cast. It won't always be Chuck. It won't always be Tom. It could be three people. It could be four people. You'll get to hear some voices of writers from the site that you have never heard before, at least heard with us anyway. So thanks again, and we will see you next time.